Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the Legal One director. Very excited to have with me again, Kathy Lindenbaum, who's president of the New Jersey PTA. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, Dave, for having us. Looking forward to it. Today's episode is part of a 12-part series highlighting major U.S. and New Jersey Supreme Court decisions, why they're relevant today, and how the law has evolved since that decision. So in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the duty to keep students safe from foreseeable dangers. So let's think back to 1982. We have an individual who was very well respected and had been named as the elementary school principal. His name was Samuel Rosigliano. He is working as an elementary principal for the next eight years. He becomes a tenured principal. His students perform at a very high level, high academic achievement. He is an avid photographer. He takes many photos that are posted throughout the school in order to try to promote a positive school climate. In addition to being the school principal, he also volunteers in the community to run a recreational wrestling program. And he receives very positive evaluations from the superintendent throughout his tenure as principal. So we have all of these positive things happening uh, with this particular person. However, we also have some very disturbing issues that arise. For example, we have two students who are at that elementary school. BF is the initials for one of the students, RH, the initials for another male student. While these two students were in second grade, and again, while they were in third grade, they are at various times called down to the principal's office. Principal would call um, each of the students into his office, would lock the door. The windows were covered into the office. You couldn't see into the office. You couldn't see into the office from the outside either. Actually, this was a violation of state law to have the window to that office covered, but it was. On a number of occasions, staff members would notice what appeared to be flashbulbs going off under this closed door. This was a person who was known to be an avid photographer, and there were these suspected flashbulbs going off under the door. There was a, a one occasion where the principal was dealing with a student who had misbehaved and threatened to spank that student something obviously a school principal should not be doing or even threatening. On other occasions, the principal was seen physically very close to some students and actually at various points in time, rocking back and forth and touching students when he was going back and forth. The same principal was allowed to attend high school wrestling weigh-ins. So during a high school wrestling weigh-in, students would be weighing in without wearing any clothes. This principal who was allowed to attend these weigh-ins had no official role. 
he argued that you know he wanted to attend the weigh-ins because he volunteered for the recreational wrestling program in the community and wanted to see how it was done at the high school. On November 29th, 1990, this principal was arrested. Investigators had found 176 photographs of past and present male students in various provocative, inappropriate poses. The photographs were taken in the principal's office. They involved dozens of students over many years, each in similar poses in the principal's office. So at various points in time over this eight-year period, there had been many red flags. Board members, for example, were aware that the principal was covering the office window in violation of state law. And in fact, there had been times where state monitors had been into the district and advised the principal, you can't have a covered window. He would remove the cover and then immediately cover the window back up after the state monitors left. And there were a number of folks aware of that. There was an incident where a substitute nurse was working one day and was concerned about the way this principal was interacting with a student and told the regular nurse assuming that the official regular school nurse would then follow up with any required reporting. There were other teachers who reported concerns to the school nurse, assuming the nurse would be the one to follow up about any potential inappropriate behavior. The nurse, in fact, was unaware of, of what procedure to follow for concerns that were brought to her attention and was really not sure why other staff members were bringing these issues to her attention. So the day before his arrest, a teacher confronted the principal after being informed that the principal had taken photos of a student. A student had told this teacher about the principal taking photos of him. Teacher was shocked by this, directly confronted the principal about the issue, and tried to investigate on her own. But the teacher didn't report what she learned to Child Protective Services and did not report what she had learned to a higher level of administration. So really what we had here was a systemic breakdown. We had numerous school employees and school officials who suspected that something was wrong. So in this case, we ultimately had two parents who brought litigation against the school district. Those parents argued that the school district violated their fundamental duty of care because they were negligent in how they supervised the school. And the New Jersey Supreme Court looked at this issue and ultimately held that the school district was liable, did fail to engage in appropriate supervision, had many red flags that were available and failed to act. And the Supreme Court laid out really an important legal standard. So I wanna read just a brief quote from the New Jersey Supreme Court decision. The court said that no greater obligation is placed on school officials than to protect the children in their charge from foreseeable dangers, whether those dangers arise from the careless acts or the intentional transgressions of others. Although the overarching mission of a board of education is to educate, its first imperative must be to do no harm to the children in its care. A board of education must take reasonable measures to assure that teachers and administrators who stand as surrogate parents during the school day are educating, not endangering, and protecting, not exploiting vulnerable children. And the court noted that children don't have a choice. They don't voluntarily attend school. They are compelled to attend our schools. So in this case, the New Jersey Supreme Court held that there was a lack of training on proper reporting protocols. Every staff member should have known how to report suspected child abuse or neglect. There was a failure to address a violation of state rules that were intended to protect children, including rules that said we should not be covering up any window into an office where we may have children. 
there was a failure to address improper behavior, such as the student physically being inappropriate with students, rocking up against a student, attending wrestler weigh-ins where there was no legitimate reason for that principal to be doing so. There were systemic breakdowns when many staff members suspected abuse and didn't act. So the case laid out the legal obligation for school staff to address foreseeable dangers that students are facing. And it really was indicative of a larger pattern of concerns that we do see at the state and national levels. So for example, we do see research that indicates there is a real reluctance to report suspected child abuse where we suspect that the abuser could be a school staff member. There is an assumption that some staff members have that if a concern is expressed to a colleague, that somebody else will follow through, somebody else will report that issue. And sometimes there is a lack of understanding that every staff member has a legal obligation to make that report directly to Child Protective Services if that staff member suspects abuse. There was a failure to recognize and enforce proper boundary lines between students and staff members so that we never get anywhere close to these types of issues of child abuse. Just recognizing those boundary lines, we would know that we should never be in a locked room with a closed window with a student. And there were so many other boundary lines that were being crossed here that should have been recognized. And unfortunately, we do see from the data across the nation that most incidents of child sexual abuse involve a trusted adult. Now, in many cases, that trusted adult is a parent or guardian, but in other cases, that trusted adult can be a staff member. In fact, in the vast majority of cases, child sexual abuse does not come from a stranger, it does not come from somebody lurking in a park trying to lure a student. Certainly those things happen, but more than 90% of the cases of child sexual abuse involve a trusted adult who that child already knows. So very important lessons come out of this case, and it's incredibly relevant today. When we think about this case, we wanna keep in mind that there is a legal obligation for us to think about what are the foreseeable dangers that our students face? And it's a constantly evolving set of questions. We have to think about foreseeable intentional acts. So for example, we know that some students will engage in bullying towards other students. That's foreseeable. And we have in place lots of structures to deal with that. We know that some students will intentionally get into fights with other students. That's certainly foreseeable. And we put in place lots of systems to deal with that. We know some students will consciously decide to disrupt a class. That's certainly foreseeable. Teachers deal with that on a regular basis. So we plan for those things that are foreseeable intentional acts. We know there's also foreseeable careless acts or foreseeable failures to act. So it's foreseeable that a student might not yet be able to fully think through the impact of their actions. They're saying something and they feel like they're just joking or having fun, and they might not fully realize the impact of what they're saying or doing on one of their peers. That is foreseeable, that students aren't always going to think through the impact of their actions. It's foreseeable that staff may not know how to proactively address potential student needs, because we know that some students are struggling. They're already on our radar screen, but a staff member might not know what to do to help that student, to reduce the chance of that student facing more harm. And certainly in our current environment, as we're dealing with a global pandemic, we know that there are foreseeable dangers that we have to address. So we have students who we previously had identified as being at risk. For example, students who are struggling with mental health issues, students who are struggling with substance abuse issues. And now those students are in a remote environment. They don't have the same level of direct in-person support that they would have received in the past. 
and it's foreseeable that that student could face some greater dangers from being in that remote environment. So we have to plan for that and address that. It's foreseeable that we have students with newly emerging issues related to the pandemic, such as students who are isolated from their peers and are losing important connections and losing that ability to engage in social and emotional growth that is so critical for all students. There's a lack of proper adult supervision in some cases. Parents and guardians need to go to work. And you have students who are not always supervised in the way that they really need to be. And that's a foreseeable consequence of what we're going through. It's foreseeable that some students are fearful or anxious about returning to school because for some students, the pandemic has been a respite. You have some students who struggle when they're in school for lots of reasons. And for some of those students, they are fearful about coming back into a pre-pandemic school environment. And we need to plan for that as well. It's foreseeable that some students and sometimes adults will not always follow our required health and safety protocols and that could endanger everyone and we plan for those issues. So the court really has laid out a flexible legal standard by talking about how we have a legal obligation to plan for foreseeable dangers and talking about the fact that we have no greater obligation than protecting student safety. So having considered this particular case and the evolving legal standard, it's really important that we think about how schools and parents can work together to address these foreseeable dangers, to address some of the challenges that we know we're, we're dealing with. So I want to bring into the conversation, again, Kathy Lindenbaum. Kathy is the president of the New Jersey State PTA and comes to this with practical experience as a parent herself, obviously, and experience as the state PTA president. So Kathy, uh, let me just then start off by asking you, how can schools and parents work together to promote a greater understanding of everyone's legal obligation to report suspected child abuse or neglect? Well, it, it is important to know what your rights are. And this sometimes is a difficult subject to talk about, especially, you know, when you think it's happening. So my suggestion is always to say, you know, just find out generally what the rights are of a parent if you suspect something is going on. Guardians also foster parents. You know, talk to the schools about as a parent, if you feel something is going on, what are your rights? if you would suspect that. Also, there are guidance counselors to go to. So it's always good to know what that is beforehand. And like I said, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable to ask, especially when you think something is going on, but you have to know that it's your job to advocate for those students. And you know, just as a follow-up to that, New Jersey law does actually say that every adult, whether you're a parent, a teacher, anybody who, who is an adult has a legal obligation if they have reason to believe a child is being abused or neglected to report that issue. And I, I think sometimes we think that that's only an obligation on a school employee, but it could be that a parent sees something that's very concerning about another child and might not know what to do in a case like that. My advice is always go to your building principal, go to your guidance counselor in the school, because obviously, you know, to talk about it with other parents, that's not the way to go. Just go to an authoritative figure and follow up on it. Like, obviously, you're not going to get answers of like what happened or, you know, what they're doing, but you can go back and ask, did someone report that and was it followed up on? And they can say yes or no. So there are, of course, times where 
parents for you know legitimate reasons understandable reasons are just struggling right? you know we, we can rec we can all relate to that you know a parent maybe loses their job as we're all struggling through this pandemic there are so many reasons that families are struggling and they might be ashamed to ask for help or somehow embarrassed that they're in this situation so what, what is our message to schools and parents where we might have parents who really need help but are fearful or embarrassed or ashamed to ask for that help from the school communication, go to that person in the school district, your counselor, your building principal, they they will not, they're not allowed to go out and talk about that. And we find that quite often. I know in a lot of Title I districts, you know, before everything was online and people could fill out their income to get free and reduced lunch, there was a lot of parents that would not do that because they were embarrassed and they didn't want everyone to know. I can say way back when, you know, when my oldest was little, they would get like a ticket or something. And everyone knew those were the free or reduced lunch kids. I was a free lunch student when way back when I'm almost 60. And I could remember everyone in the cat, my mom was a single mom. And I could remember feeling embarrassed when they would say, okay, all free lunch students get up and come and get your lunch. And I'd be like, sometimes I wouldn't get up because it was embarrassing. So it's not that way anymore. You can ask for help. There's ways to ask for help without everyone knowing. And and you have to ask for help because if you don't ask for help, they're not going to know you need help. And if you need help and you don't ask for it, you're not going to get the help because they don't know. That's such a great point. Um, I'm sure in, in your role at the state PTA and just as a parent, you have heard from others who are struggling because of the global pandemic and some of the other difficult current events that we've all been working through. So what, are, what do you see as some of the issues that have been very challenging for students in light of the pandemic? So some of the stuff that we've been talking about with our leaders across the state is to make sure that, um, you know, to try, I mean, I know it's hard, I'm a parent of five, so I know it's definitely very hard, but to monitor social media, you can't say keep your kids off the computer, like we said years ago, because they have to be on to do their schoolwork. But sometimes just having that little bit of family time or game time, if you could do that. And of course, if there is a problem, you know, you have to start with your chain of command, talk to your student's teacher, your child's teacher. If that doesn't work, go to the administrator. You know, don't don't ignore stuff because like you said, social emotional health is very important. Even for the students, we're finding out that never had issues with social issues or emotional issues. It's kind of like we're all, you know, to use the term I use, which isn't a professional term, but I feel like we're all locked in the house. And as an adult that is, you know, has a lot of interaction every day, being a state PTA president and talking to different people, I feel sometimes like I just need to break out. So you could imagine how a young student, a young child feels. And there are different issues for the very young ones. Some of them are relying on older siblings taking care of them or grandparents helping them, and they're not used to that. They're used to being in school. So we know that there are many cases where students develop a very positive, close bond with a particular school employee. For example, students can become you know, very close to a particular teacher who they're working with, or a coach, or a counselor, or it could be any employee. A student might really enjoy saying hello to a secretary working in the main office every day and develop a good connection there. We want to promote those positive connections, but we also want to make sure that we don't cross inappropriate boundary lines between students and school employees. So, Kathy, do you have any thoughts about 
how we can make sure that we're promoting positive connections without crossing those boundary lines? As a parent, and I think many parents feel this way, you know, you want your children to feel safe and comfortable in school. So when they get those bonds with specific teachers, coaches, or a school employee, that that generally is a very good thing. But you don't want it to cross the line where they're going to those school employees when the family should be aware, a parent should be aware of what's going on. And there are protocols in place, examples, you know, when coaches are texting for the older students texting out, it has to be either a group text or the parent has to be on the text message or another school employee as long as the parent knows about that. So things like that, you know, it's, it's our job as parents to know what the protocols are, to find out the rules. And just to keep a good communication with your child, with your student, to make sure that, you know, if you see that there is something going on, changes in your student's habits, whether it be grades or their demeanor at home, you know your child, you know the children that are in your care. And then that's the time to start reaching out to school employees, to school counselors, to see if there's anything that is going on that you should know about. Or if you just get that gut feeling as a parent that something's not right, that this particular employee, coach, teacher, whatever, or even another parent leader in the school or someone, if it doesn't feel right to you, then you should check into it. Sometimes it's intuition or sometimes it's someone else saying to you, hey, you might want to look into this. That's such an important point. If your gut is telling you that there might be an issue, you want to follow up. You want to talk with your child. You want to talk with a school official like the school principal. You want to pay attention to those concerns and just make sure that boundary lines aren't being crossed. Because as we said, sometimes with all good intentions, that can happen, right? And there's not something inappropriate going on, but you don't want to blur those lines. We want to make sure everybody understands their appropriate role. And there might be something that you should know that you can help with your relationship with your child. The bottom line is most people want the best for our students and our children and our families. And I think working together, that's the way we can give the best for our students. And especially in a time like this in COVID, so many parents, families, students, even staff, we all need help. So the lines of communication are open and we can all help each other. So I want to thank you for taking the time to be part of this important conversation. We wanted to make sure to stress the legal obligation for schools to address foreseeable dangers, to plan for those foreseeable dangers, to make sure that we have training in place and systems in place, and that we do everything we can to make sure that we are not crossing boundary lines where children could be placed into dangerous situations. So for those who are interested in more information, I encourage you to take a look at the Legal One website, and we have lots of great information to help you understand your legal responsibilities. Thank you, everyone. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of our podcast. And thank you so much, Kathy. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.